0: talked to many high school age boys and girls and was basically asking them what the biggest challenges were for them in their lives and being able to walk with uh, the Lord. And the number one or number two challenge in almost every person that I asked was their friends. And one young lady in Plainview Put it pretty succinctly. She says, you know, we come to these meetings and we get fired up. We get to hang around all the church people, all, the, all our peers that are church kids and, and uh, get pumped up and energized, studying about the Lord and just being immersed in it. But when I go home, I dread it because when I go, home, when I go back to my hometown and go back to high school, well, you're back in the world. And the friends she has in the world drag her down, and uh, I think we can all relate to that. Um, you know, we we all have business associates, people we work with, uh, people we go to school with, people we just know in the community that aren't Christians, and uh, we we have to deal with those people, and 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 I'm not trying to say that we're. We're better than them. The only thing that makes us better than them is Jesus Christ, you know? Uh, and we should not hate them, so I want you to keep that in mind while we're studying this when we talk about choosing our friends. We're not supposed to hate those people no matter what they're practicing. If it's some type of sexual immorality or drug use or whatever, we're supposed to hate the sin. And uh, while those people may be our enemies, uh, frenemies, I guess you could say, uh we're supposed to pray for them and love them. So I want you to think about <clears throat> who's your best friend. Now you guys know know this fellow on the right there. Uh, that was back when he had a little bit more hair, but uh, he, you know, growing up until I was about fourteen or fifteen, he was my best friend. I always loved spending time with him. I mean it. We always had a great time. Were we always up to good stuff? No. Like young boys, we had some honorness in us. But the thing about uh, Sean was, even when we were young, he had a uh, he had a moral compass because he had been raised like that. His grandparents and his parents and his aunts and uncles, uh, extended family, He he learned from that. So... When we got in some nonsense and and we knew that it wasn't right, he was usually the one that said, you know what, we're not supposed to be doing this. And uh, he was a good influence. So, and of course when we were young, we were involved in a lot of church activities. Uh, You know, the young young people in the church would kind of get together during meeting season and we'd sleep over at, at one another's houses and study the Bible and, Just good fellowship. Deuteronomy 30 and 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Uh, The friends we choose, that's a life and death decision. I want you to think about that because you think about your husband and wife. Okay. At one time, those people were just friends. So, friends determine a lot, uh, uh, has have a big influence on us throughout life, and it's a life and death choice. I had, uh, when I was, I believe I was 16 years old, a bunch of us boys was in the locker room, and, uh, well, actually we were in the shower. And we got to twirling towels up and popping each other, you know. And uh, some were better at it than others. Coach caught us. Took us to the coach's office and uh, began to say how many licks we were going to get for popping each other with towels. He got all the ringleaders rounded up. And I never will forget, this sign was right behind his desk. It said... How can you soar with eagles if you're surrounded by turkeys? And I just didn't understand what that meant. But you know, Sean, well, in Proverbs 22 and 24, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways, and get a snare unto thyself. If you've ever noticed, the people you hang around the most, you start assimilating some of their behaviors and they assimilate some of yours. There's a study that says if you can pick a person's best five friends and average out their morality, usually you're going to act like that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, we would say in modern English, uh, evil companionship corrupts good habits. You kids that are in high school, you know that kids that run around and party and uh, get into all kinds of foolishness, they do it together. I mean, it's like a group effort, you know. Uh, now, when I stopped hanging around Sean, I, I started hanging around these guys. And I'm going to chunk rocks at them, but keep in mind, when I'm chunking rocks at them, I'm chunking rocks at myself. Now, all five of these fellows here had all the blessings that you can imagine. I mean, just were really blessed. They all eventually went to college on academic and athletic scholarships. Uh, you, you know, whatever you want to say, Mr. PHS, this and that. Okay, uh, this uh, fellow on the right, his dad was a district attorney for many, many years in Carson County. You know the, the ugly one in the middle. The one on the left, uh, his father was a DPS officer in Panhandle for many, many years. The guy on the lower left, his dad was the county judge for, I don't know, 20 years, something like that.
1: The guy on the right, his
0: dad was a, was a grain merchant. I'm gonna tell you something. When I stopped hanging around Sean, and started hanging around these guys all the time, I started assimilating their behaviors. And after I started assimilating their behavior, I started contributing to their behavior. And then I started leading the behavior. We had things in common. I call them the the four F's. Football, fame, and foolishness. That's what we had in common. And we deceived one another, deceived ourselves. And I just think back about that, and I, I took this slide out of here because uh, I didn't want to put it up there at Plainview, you know, in front of the, the kids, but I think we can talk about it. There was a slide that I found on the Internet that showed this young girl, a high school girl, and her friends were around her. They were, had their arms around her. And they were out in the country, like all these small towns in Texas, and their pickups pulled up everywhere. And one of her friends is handing her a, a clear solo cup full of what appears to be beer. And this girl is looking at that like, like it's a snake. And I thought about the first time that I experienced that. And I thought, that was me. That girl was me. <laughs> Because I remember that, but as we assume these activities and these behaviors, it becomes the norm, you know, and 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 your your conscience gets seared towards it, and you find loopholes about uh, well, uh, it's really not wrong to do this as long as it's in moderation, or and I'm not just talking about drinking beer; I'm talking about all kinds of things that are. Are we trying to meet the minimum standard here to to be called good, to be a child of God? I I don't know, but I will tell you that out of these five guys right here, there were four divorces. There were all four of them, uh, uh, four out of the five of these guys had substance abuse problems. Uh, Two of these guys are dead now because of, uh, you know, related kind of uh, things like that. And uh, I think about the sadness of it because, you know, it was because of our friendship. This is where this stuff started. That's where this behavior started. I'll say one thing. I've already talked about this guy, so I'm not going to elaborate just to say in brief he was baptized when he was 15 years old member of the church but in the very end he died because of drink because of those habits that he that he took upon himself but i want i want you to think about all the kids around here how many times do we hear every every year maybe two years we hear a story about some high school kids there were three girls this happened to was it last year david or two years ago Three young high school girls go out and start drinking and jump in a car. And next thing you know, one of them's dead. I mean it's real. It, 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 sin is death. Uh, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. It bears out over and over and over again. Matt talked about it this morning. History repeats itself over and over again. So what are the qualities of a godly friend? Proverbs 13 and 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Who are these wise men? Who are these wise people? Matthew 7 and 24. This is Jesus Christ speaking at the end of one of the, well, the greatest sermon that was ever given on the mount. Therefore, whosoever heareth these th- sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not. For it was found upon a rock. The wise people are the people that follow Jesus' teachings. That's who the wise people are. Proverbs 27 and 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We want friends that are going to sharpen us. I want to be in the room where I'm not the smartest guy. And that's often the case. You know, because if I'm in the room with sharp Christian men that know the Bible, they can teach me. They can teach me. They can sharpen me. And for that matter, uh, we've got plenty of women that have a a bunch of Bible knowledge that we can learn from. Build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5, and starting in verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. That's why we come to church, why we come to the worship service, to be edified, to be built up. Now, have you ever had a friend tell you, come on, let's just try this once. Just live a little. I have. Is that building? Is that building each other up? Your darkest hour. Man, we've lost a lot of loved ones this year. Been some hard times. We got a lot of sickness. We got people that are struggling spiritually with sin. We've got problems. We're humans, you know. The church uh, is not a retirement home for the righteous; it's a hospital for sinners. You know, this is where we come to get well. I want to tell you something. Dark hours are coming. If this world stands, we're going to experience some of those things. It's going to happen. We want a friend. It's going to be there. Proverbs 17 and 17. A friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. When you're down and out, you're going to need somebody. You're going to need a Christian sister or a Christian brother that's going to remind you of the price, your value, the value of your soul. Christ died for your soul. And we're going to need that. I thank God, as often as my feeble mind can remember it, for that first friend I showed you on this, on this slide. Because he reminded me of the goodness of Christ because of some Bible scripture that he'd shared with me. We're going to need that in our darkest hour. Here's a tough one. Rebuke. Correction. Galatians 6 and 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken of a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Proverbs 27 and 5, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do we want friends like that? Do we want friends that are going to tell us when we're wrong in a spirit of meekness? I know I need it. And uh, it happens quite a bit. My wife rebukes me. And, I, you know, a, a true friend that loves you is going to do that because they don't want to see you crash. I might have told you this story before, but we used to love to ride dirt bikes. Loved it. And uh, we had a buddy that got a brand new KDX Kawasaki. We just drove Junkers, but he got a brand new one. I think that bike was probably worth about five grand back in them days, eight 1983 or four. He come home on that green, shiny green Kawasaki and we went out and you know, rode the bowls and the dirt just had a blast, and you know, it started getting dark, and we all started riding for home. And uh, the dusk, he was riding into the west, so the sun was setting, and it got dark. He didn't see that bronco on the side of the road, and I'm going to tell you something. The only thing you could recognize from his from of him after that was over was the face print he left on the back of that Bronco. I want to tell you something. If I'm speeding in the darkness, doing wrong things, I want you to correct me. I want you to come to me and tell me, Jimmy, you need to look at this. Because we're not dealing with, we're dealing with a life and death issue here. We're dealing with eternity. And I want you to correct me. And I hope that you want other brothers and sisters to correct you when you're wrong out of the spirit of meekness. It's an invaluable tool. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I don't have these scriptures up here, so if you want to read them or just or, and follow along. 2 Samuel, Samuel 12, starting in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nursed up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So basically what you have here is a rich guy with plenty of herds, plenty of flocks, and a traveler comes. And this rich man, instead of taking of his plenty to feed this, this traveler, Takes the one thing that this poor man has to feed this guy. Verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David said, this man will die for this crime. Verse 7. And Nathan said to David, thou art that man. You're the one. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hands of Saul and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. What a friend. So, You have the king of Israel. He hears this story about this crime. And he says, surely this man will die. And his buddy tells him, you're that man. You're the man. You talk about a reality check. Do we want a friend like that? That's going to tell us when we're wrong? Psalms 32 and 3. Now, This is David's commentary about the way he felt during this whole process. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through, the, through my roaring all the day long. For the day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture has turned into drought of summer. Selah. Have you ever come to church and you sit down and try to sing and it just don't seem right? You try to listen to the lesson and you just can't focus. Or we gather around the Lord's Supper and you're trying to concentrate on what the Lord has done for us and and it keeps slipping out of your mind. You just can't grasp it. Because something's wrong in your life. I've been there. I've been there. Because something is standing between me and God. Something's not right. That's what David's talking about. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Open rebuke in the spirit of meekness. Very, very valuable thing. Very valuable. I want you to consider I want you to consider Jesus Christ. John 15 and 12 This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever whatsoever I command you. Do you know there's been times when I think, man, am I really... You have those moments of doubt, and you're thinking, am I, am I really... How, how do I know that I'm a friend of Jesus? How do I know he considers me a friend? Because, man, I just... Boy, I mean, <laughs> sin's a problem sometimes, you know? I'll tell you how we know that Jesus is our friend... Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. When we sin, we don't give up. We get up off the ground and we try not to do it again. We try to follow his commands. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the perfect friend. The perfect friend. So I would ask you, is Jesus just an acquaintance of yours? Is he just somebody you look at as a historical figure or uh, some type of moral uh, teacher? Or do you really know him? Because when we choose, we should not let our friends choose us other than one, Jesus Christ. We should be proactive. Proactive in, in, in who our friends are. How we choose them. What qualities we look for in a friend. Because it's a life and death choice. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ Wheeler Area.